0: Hi, everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need you to give me 90 minutes. I'm going to give you the world and my broadcast partners standing by around the world to give you information in their regions that seemingly will affect the plan that God has in the Bible, a prophetic scenario laid out for the last days. So glad you could join us. Judy and I home for a couple of days here at Broadcast Central. On Sunday, we go over to Spruce Pine, North Carolina. There's going to be a gathering there at the Tri-County Baptist Tabernacle. All the Baptist churches coming together for a prophecy conference Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening. Looking forward to doing that. Well, I want you to stay tuned because we've got some very important reports. Peter Pry, Dr. Pry, is going to talk to us about an attack from China that could shut down our electrical grids across America. And Winky Madad is going to talk to us about a very solemn day in Israel. It's Tishba Av, when they commemorate the destruction of the first and second temples. And the fact is, they pray for the third temple by next Tishbaav, a year from now. Well, the first broadcast partner we bring to this broadcast table is Ken Timmerman. He's back in the United States. And Ken, interestingly, the president brought up and, boy, did it cause a storm across the media and even in the political arena as well. He said he may delay the election in November. Now, that does fit into the scenario that you've written about in your brand-new book coming out this month, does it not?
1: Well, it sure does, and what the president was specifically warning about was this threat of mail-in ballots, which is what the Democrats want to do. They Essentially, they want to change the election system, the way that we vote, three months before the election. That's a recipe for disaster. Now, in the national news media, You're hearing people just poo-poo this whole idea, saying, well, it's not a problem. These mail-in ballots, we've been doing it for years. Everybody's been voting absentee. The military does it, so of course it's secure. But this is very different. This is not absentee ballots. And the president has made that very, very clear. A mail-in ballot system would essentially mail every registered voter in the country a ballot and allow them to vote. Now, the problem with that is that you have... Hundreds of counties across America with what are called dirty voter rolls, which means that they have people on the voter rolls who are either dead or have moved to other jurisdictions. And all of those people are going to get ballots mailed to their last known address. Well, guess what's going to happen then? Is that uh, you're going to get some union activists at the post office, or you're going to get other people who intercept those ballots and vote them, it is going to be a complete mess. I have written about this in the election heist, uh, and I think there's even uh, greater threats on the horizon that I talk about in that book. This is a big, big problem. Now, the one thing I will say, though, the president, he knows how to ignite a firestorm. He knows full, will, full well he cannot change the date of the election. Okay, That's something that only Congress can do, and Congress is not going to change the date of the election. But what he has done by uh, raising that possibility is he's gotten everybody's attention and he's gotten people to start focusing on this whole issue of election security, which is deadly, deadly
0: serious. Yes, it certainly is. And by the way, when does your book come out?
1: It'll be out on August 11th, Jimmy. And uh, next week I ought to have a couple of op-eds out that uh, go into some of these threats, these other threats that I'm talking about, specifically uh, electronic and hacker threats to our election security.
0: Ken, let's get now to some of the issues I want to cover with you. Your analysis is so key to this conversation that you and I have each week. Turkey, our good old buddy Tayyip Erdogan, is at it again. He has openly declared that a commitment is on his mind as it relates to jihad on all non-Muslims. That sounds like he's taking on the world, does it not?
1: Well, it's pretty extraordinary, Jimmy, that Erdogan makes this kind of statements in uh, addresses that he makes with the Turkish people, or on Turkish television, or on radio domestically, and nobody seems to pay any attention to it. Nobody here in the West seems to pay any attention to it. Uh, what you're referring to here was a, an address he made that celebrated the transformation of, I guess, that Eastern Christendom's great greatest church again, into a mosque, which they did earlier this month. They held Muslim prayer ceremonies inside the church. And he celebrated it by referring back to some of the greatest dictators and genocidal maniacs of Turkish history, celebrating them and basically telling the Turkish people that uh, I, Tayyip Erdogan, am going to do the same thing as they did and slaughter Christians and slaughter the infidels. It's, It's really pretty extraordinary. Here's what he said. He quoted a Turkish poet in this address, and he says, Hagia Sophia, O magnificent temple, do not worry. The grandchildren of Muhammad al-Fati, who was a leader of Turkey, one of the sultans back in the 15th century, will overthrow all the Christian idols and convert you into a mosque. And he goes on to say that, um, you know, we will continue to slaughter the infidels. I mean, I really do not understand why the Western media and even the State Department does not pay more attention to this, because this is serious stuff coming from a significant world leader such as Erdogan.
0: Yeah, and a radical world leader at that. Well, let me circle back to the elections. Not only were we talking about it on the broadcast, but in Iran, the Mullahs are talking about the upcoming presidential election here in the United States. They're excited, as they are saying, about the possibility that Joe Biden could win that election. I think they may be a little preliminary, should you think that be the case?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, or, or wishful thinking. But look, The Iranian regime has always liked Democrat presidents in the United States. Why? Because they have been able to manipulate them systematically, systematically, whether it's Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, or Barack Obama. And when Republicans have been in office, the United States has uh, generally taken a much tougher line on Iran. Think Ronald Reagan in 1987, 1988, when he... Thank a third of the Iranian Navy because they were uh, placing mines on commercial ships and even on U.S. military vessels in the Strait of Hormuz. Or even George W. Bush, who tried to negotiate with them, but then ultimately, when that failed, uh, set up an international coalition to punish Iran for its illegal nuclear weapons program. And now under President Trump, who has also tried to create an international coalition to punish Iran for violating nuclear agreement that Obama set up so Biden has Joe Biden has a long track record of supporting the Iranian regime in Tehran he uh, and I've been to some of these events he has uh, spoken at fundraisers with the National Iranian American Council which is a Tehran front group they are a lobbying organization that supports all of the goals of the Islamist regime in Tehran so Biden is buddies of theirs he's taken money from them He has supported their uh, policy goals. And uh, even now during the campaign, you know, he he has been very pro-Tehran. So, of course, the Mullahs want to see him come to power. Uh, The big question is going to be, are they going to unleash some of their cyber capabilities? And they have cyber capabilities. We've seen that uh, increasingly over the past couple of years. Will they unleash those cyber capabilities here in the United States to either disrupt the election or to help the Democrats. And that's, a, that's a, a big potential issue.
0: Ken, you and I have spoken in weeks past about what seems to be a civil war in Libya. Now I'm understanding Israel has a concern they may find themselves facing down Iran, Turkey, and even the United States in Libya. What do we know?
1: Well, uh, the United States, I don't think so, because I I cannot see the U.S. going up against Israel, especially not in Libya, which is a failed state, and and we have a president finally who says, I'm not going to get us entangled in foreign wars where we don't have a direct national interest. But uh, you're absolutely right that uh, Israel has been sort of dipping its toes into the water of the Libyan civil war. They've been helping the allies of General Haidar, remember he is the pro-western, he's actually a U.S. citizen, people forget this. He is the pro-western general uh, in Benghazi who has a coalition that is fighting the Islamist coalition in Tripoli, uh, supported by Qatar and Turkey and Iran. So uh, the Israelis have been, uh, it's said, I mean, these are the reports that we see, they have not uh, openly confirmed this, but it's said that the Israelis have been providing some form of training, if not to... Haftar's troops, at least, we know this, they've been helping Haftar's allies in Egypt and the United Arab Emirates. So, at the very least, Israel uh, is on the side of Haftar and is helping Haftar's allies. Whether they actually wade in directly, I tend to think that's much less likely, but they're certainly on the side of Haftar's
0: allies. Let me just get you to give me a quick answer here because we're running out of time, Ken. But this week in Washington, D.C. at the United States Congress, the leaders of the big tech operations out of California, uh, they met and were questioned by the Congress However, Twitter is downplaying what the supreme leader in Iran is calling for almost on a daily basis, the total destruction of the Jewish state of Israel. Twitter calling that political speech and allowing it when they don't allow the rest of us to have the same opportunity.
1: It's really pretty extraordinary, the hypocrisy of big tech, where they will censor conservatives or Christian voices on the Internet, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or others. and and allow Khamenei to call for the genocide of the Jewish people. I mean, it's it's just bald-faced, out-and-out hypocrisy. It's a double standard, and it's got to stop. And I think that's what Congress was one of the things that they were trying to get at in this hearing on Wednesday.
0: Ken Timmerman is key to our broadcast. We open up with him because we together look at geopolitical activities that uh, should be of interest to you. We try to give you the details, and then I'll give you the prophetic significance at the end of the broadcast. Great report, Ken. Thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week.
1: Thanks as always, Jimmy. A pleasure. God bless.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East News update for us.
2: It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? I want to remind
0: you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is ProphecyToday dot com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. Guess what? I am here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're here for a couple of days, but actually on Sunday tomorrow we head out for Spruce Pine, North Carolina, just above Asheville, North Carolina. I love Spruce Pines, a little community Uh, but a bunch of Baptists up there who want to hear the prophetic word of God. The Mitchell Baptist Association, a group of Baptist churches coming together for Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. That will be held at the Tri-County Baptist Tabernacle. Man, I love that place, too. It's out there in the woods, but it's a great place to study the word of God. 7 p.m. each evening. Come join us there at the Tri County Baptist Tabernacle in Spruce Pine, North Carolina, for a three day prophecy conference. I'm going to be speaking on a number of topics so contemporary with what's going on. In our world today. Well, I promised David Dolan our Middle East news update from David, always a very essential report to hear. And David, let's talk about a number of things. Listen, this is 2020. Reminds me that 15 years ago, there was a pullout of the Gaza Strip. That was a very bad time for Israel, was it not?
3: It was one of the most difficult times that I ever experienced there, Jimmy, for sure. Having moved there in 1980, I saw and, well, was in the middle of and reported on, as you know, quite a number of wars and conflicts and terror attacks. But that was such an internal struggle in the country, uh, very much uh, akin to the sort of thing happening in the United States right now. It was a deep political divide, a very feisty, fierce, hotly contested Uh, issue there. And one of the army commanders at the time that uh, was supportive of the pullout uh, this week gave an interview saying it was a grave mistake to have done that, as all Israel's had since then, is rocket attacks from Gaza, periodically terror attacks across the border, and of course, Hamas taking over and turning it into Hamistan, as uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu calls it, a hostile country against Israel right on its Uh, well, just a few miles south of uh, its biggest urban area, Tel Aviv. So very much regretted by most Israelis. 8,000 Israelis pulled out, uh, resettled inside of Israel. But it was the security loss that was the greatest thing that uh, Israel has suffered since then.
0: Yes, David, and I covered that as well. I talked with one of the assistant commanders who was responsible for evacuating those Jewish settlers from the Gaza Strip. He told me of the incident when he had to actually take his grandson from the hands and arms of his own son to be able to follow through his orders. A terrible time for the body politic of Israel. Well, Jerusalem right now assessing Hezbollah there in the north of the state, right there at the Lebanese-Israeli border. A new attack, they believe, possibly very soon. What do we know?
3: Yes, there's been more uh, tension this week, more build up to uh, conflict there, not only along the border between the forces that are still uh, very, very beefed up. We had a statement from Hezbollah earlier in the week, Jimmy, that The incident where they attempted to infiltrate into Majdel Shams, the Druze town, they said that they would repeat that, that that was not the end of the revenge that they're seeking for the death of a senior Hezbollah commander in an Israeli airstrike south of Damascus um, about ten days ago or so now, that they will continue to launch attacks uh, and that this is not over. So, the Israelis are taking that statement quite seriously and uh, continuing to beef up their forces. Meanwhile, of course, in Iran, we've had more anti American and anti Israel uh, drills by the Revolutionary Guards attacking a mock American aircraft carrier. Of course, the actual Nimitz is in that area and could be attacked. And most importantly, they showed pictures of firing underground silo missiles for the first time, testing underground hidden missiles and firing those out at the sea. And, in fact, a couple of them landed pretty close to U.S. bases, making them go on full military alert, which the Iranians later boasted about. So uh, a lot of tension there. Plus we had a report that they launched a cyber attack, an Iranian group on Israeli trains. that occurred in January, soon after uh, Soleimani was uh, killed by Israeli aircraft. And uh, they said they hit over 20 train stations, and they put out a statement this week about it, saying we can do this, and we may do it again. We can actually cause the trains to turn around and collide and hit each other and destroy them and kill people. So uh, the war continues.
0: Very solemn Jewish day this last week. Tishba Av, the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av, When the first temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed and also the second temple, Herod's temple, destroyed on the same calendar day of the month. Islamic presence on the Temple Mount trying to shut down any Jews from getting up there. But I understand there's one Jewish young man had an Israeli flag in his pocket, got through the security, was able to unfurl the flag right there on the Temple Mount. Boy, that'll work out whenever you want to do it. You can make it happen.
4: Well,
3: and it was the first time since 1967 that we've had pictures of an Israeli flag, and in fact the first time one has been up there, because the police normally confiscate any Israeli flag or any other nationalistic symbols or books at the entrance and then give them back to the people as they're leaving uh, any Jews going in there. But this uh, young activist, on Tishbaav, Av, uh, some friends of his had a flag they were uh, waving at the base of the mount, He asked if he could borrow it, they gave it to him, he folded it tightly and put it in his back pocket, and during the police inspection it was not detected. So when he got up there, he raised it, unfurled it, and pictures were taken. It didn't last very long, but first time since '67 that Israeli flag has been seen on the Temple Mount. So that is another sign, we're moving to that time when uh, it will be um, under Israeli control eventually. A thousand Israelis went up there on Tishba'ah to pray, Jimmy, and that was more than were, less than last year, but under the coronavirus uh, splurge in Israel and all the restrictions and that, they didn't expect even that many. So an important place for sure for Orthodox Jews in particular.
0: By the way, on our home page, we list the top 10 news stories every day. You go there today, you'll be able to see that story David just reported to us about the Israeli flag on the Temple Mount and maybe some photos as well. David, Turkey has invested a lot of money putting personnel into the old city of Jerusalem, especially around the Temple Mount. And now Turkey has openly declared a commitment to jihad. In other words, killing all non-Muslims. What about this report?
3: Well, the real worrisome thing there to the Israeli establishment, Jimmy, is the alliance between Erdogan and the radical uh, Turkish government that's emerged in recent years, and the radical Hamas movement and Islamic jihad. But especially they're close to Hamas in the Gaza Strip, meaning they're also indirectly backing Hezbollah in the north, because we know that Hamas and Hezbollah, even though they're from the two rival wings of Islam, as it were, the two main ones, uh, Shia and Sunni, they work together against Israel as well. So if we have uh, another major Hezbollah incursion, if we have another war involving Hamas, or more likely something involving all of them, we'll see Turkey right there in the background at least, the danger is that they'll offer to send uh, forces, troops, and and jets. You've been discussing. Uh, not with me, but with others in recent weeks, the fact that they're supplying weapons into Libya now and fighters into Libya. So it's not at all um, beyond belief that they would send some forces into Gaza or into Lebanon to uh, fight against Israel. And that is the main concern, although the financial backing and the other things they're already openly doing in and around Jerusalem to try to further Islamicize the city is not very helpful to the Israelis either.
0: You know, David, we're reporting a lot of activities that should scare people from wanting to move and live the rest of their life in Israel. However, Jews are concerned about anti-Semitism, especially in the European Union and even in the United States. Now I understand there's so many Jews returning to Israel, the government's worried how they're going to be able to absorb them. But I think the government will make a way, don't you?
3: Oh, certainly. It's the top priority always of the various Jewish governments over the decades that have ruled in Israel to keep the door open for Jews around the world to move to the Jewish state, especially if they're undergoing persecution. We have, uh, in the midst of the chaos, the violence in the United States that's uh, growing and spreading, the problems in Asia, the problems in Europe, Anti-Semitism, growing Islamic activism in all those countries, growing Islamic activism in America. Uh, on and on. All of these are reasons for, despite the difficulties that Israel poses, it still is a Jewish state. It still comes together basically when there is a conflict or war or opposition to it. And the bottom line is it is the only world uh, Jewish state. Yes, the uh, applications are growing and they'll make a way to to bring them in and hopefully
0: safely. And that is an absolute and according to God's prophetic word. I told you, David Dolan's Middle East News Update is key for all of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, thank you so much. Great report. We'll have another conversation next week.
3: You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless you.
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. We're going to talk in detail about Tishbaal. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. on the website, if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com.
2: And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, finally home at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We'll be here, but Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week, we'll be over near Spruce Pines, North Carolina, a group of pastors coming together at the Tabernacle. If you live in that area, you know where the Tabernacle is. We'll come and teach Bible prophecy for three days, a combination of churches joining us in this very important teaching time in the history of our world. Hope to see you there in Spruce Pines. Well, right now we're going to Israel to the location of Shiloh, which was one of the very important historic biblical sites when the Jewish people came into the Promised Land some 3,500 years ago. There we find the former mayor of Shiloh, our broadcast partner, Winky Madad. And Winky, of course, you knew that I would be calling you this week. Because this last week, a very holy, solemn Jewish day did take place, Tish B'Av. Now we understand the title of this holy day comes from the day of the month of Av, Tish B'Av, the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av. But Winky, will you please explain to the Christians listening in to the broadcast today what Tish B'Av is all about, what does it represent?
4: Jimmy, the Jewish people in the land of Israel, of course, developed various religious and cultural practices. Most of them, of course, based on two fundamentals. One, the commandments we received from the law, which according to our tradition numbers 613, and the fact that we were centered around a temple sacrificial form of worship. When I say sacrificial, and I think we've discussed this before, Jimmy, we're not talking only about animals, we're talking about fruits and other elements around the year in which the Jewish people worship God in the form and the and, and the practices that were laid out for us in the Bible. And therefore, the temple was extremely central to our national, ethnic, religious existence in the land of Israel. However, twice the temple was destroyed. Once by Babylonians, second time by the Romans. And in our tradition, those events were basically, of course, catastrophic, because it just wasn't the temple that was destroyed, but we lost our political, uh, economic independence due to that i can imagine uh, if uh, in 1815 the british had actually taken over washington city which they didn't what would happen you can imagine that and in our tradition both those events took place on the ninth of av which of course results in the fact that it's the second 25 hour fast day in the jewish calendar
0: that we observe. When you're talking about both temples being destroyed on the same day, Tish Ba'av, many years apart, there were some other, as I've been studying Tishbaav, there were some other incidents that took place on that same day as well, were there not?
4: If you're talking about the expulsion from Spain and other events, that is our tradition. Early events, of course, pale in comparison the fact that uh, the temple was lost, Jerusalem was conquered, the country of the land of Israel was basically broken up. In the first temple, according to our tradition, and it's in the Bible, 10 of the 12 tribes were actually uh, exiled to Babylonia, and not that many came back. With uh, Nehemiah, I think it's about 42,000, if I remember correctly, more or less, uh, returned. That was the first return after 70 years. After the second destruction, Jimmy, it took us 1,800 years to uh, regain our political independence once again in the land of Israel.
0: And, of course, Tishbaab, the focus on the destruction of these two Jewish temples, which is, of course, the heart of the Jewish people. Winky, what does the Jewish person do if they are going to commemorate this destruction of these two temples of God for the Jewish people? What do they do when you go to the Temple Mount on Tish Bav today?
4: Well, first of all, Jimmy, let me just enlighten our audience. Actually, there is a minor fast day, which is the 17th of Tammuz the previous month. So basically, those of us who are more observant Like myself, for the purpose of the conversation, we have not cut our hair, our beards have not been trimmed. From the first of the month of Av, we have not been eating meat at all. So in other words, we're in a three-week, then a nine-day, and then a one-day period of increasing morning practices which also include, for example, no playing of musical instruments or so going to performances. That's the more strict interpretation of it. On the day itself, those who are able to get to the Temple Mount, some might even rent their shirts as a sign of mourning. However, it might not be done publicly because, as we've discussed many times, the current Israeli government procedures is that we do not display overt religious actions when inside the Temple Mount, including prayer and other, or reading the Bible or other things like that. So basically we sort of have an extra mourning period uh, for those uh, 40 minutes that it takes us to walk around the Temple Mount because we realize how much the Muslim authorities have control over the situation, that even to express our mourning uh, at the fact that the temple is not standing is also uh, taken away from us at this time.
0: There are those that will also sit in front of the gates of the Temple Mount area and read the book of Lamentations as they sorrow over the destruction of these two temples. But on that same day, this day of Tishba Av, this last week, most of the Jews there were praying for the temple to be up by next Tishba Av, were they not?
4: Jimmy, one of the uh, ingrained slogans of uh, Jews is next year in Jerusalem, which means next year in a rebuilt Jerusalem. It is said at the Passover Seder ceremonial dinner. It is said at the end of Yom Kippur fast day, when the shofar is sounded to mark the end of the fast. And it is also said on Tisha And so uh, we are always looking forward with the hope and the belief that eventually we will regain all that we lost, that we will be able to be a free people in our land in all sense of that term, and that Jerusalem will return and even be restored as it is prophesied in the Bible, that once again the third house will
0: be rebuilt. And that temple will indeed be rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. In light of that, Winky, talk to me about the preparations that have been made for building that temple, all the implements, all the training of the priest, etc. What's been going on? Just a brief history, if you can, but let us know what has been prepared.
4: Well, first of all, Jimmy, there has been a major effort over the past decade, uh, much more so than when I was much younger which is reaching out to many, many young people. I mean, every week hundreds of people come up, if only just to walk around the Temple Mount, the the main platform there in the center, what's known as the uh, Dome of the Rock, to make our presence felt, and that, of course, raises consciousness. We have the Temple Institute, which deals with trying to visualize and actually make examples of all the Temple implements from altars to instruments that were used to carry the sacrifices, or the temple clothing of the priests, or even the songs that the Levites sang. And there are many groups that are uh, organized. uh, One special one I think we've talked about a while ago, the women's group that deal with the weaving of some of the cloth materials and the curtains that we used. Everybody is trying to take one or this aspect of what the Temple was uh, in its physical form and try to prepare for the fact, uh, studying the laws of the priests, the laws of the sacrifices. All these are being done um, and are growing, I would say, almost every day, and expanding in terms of both the amount of knowledge gained, the achievements that have been done,
0: and the people who are involved in it. One final question for you, Winky, and I'm serious about this. Do you believe that the Jewish prayers could be answered and there be a temple on the Temple Mount by next Tishbayav?
4: Well, Jimmy, you also asked me political questions, and you've now given me an opportunity to very quickly point out that uh, in Turkey, an ancient cathedral, which was turned into a museum so that no one would pray there, has now been turned into a mosque. In other words, a status quo that existed during Ottoman times has been reverted. And so if that can happen in Turkey, and I'm not saying this facetiously, almost anything can happen in Jerusalem.
0: God does have a plan. He will fulfill it, will he not, Winky?
4: That's what we believe. That's what we work for. That's what has been actually true in the past and it should be in the near future.
0: Yes, in the near future. Great statement. Thank you, Winky, for sharing this with us. This is knowledge that I want my Christian brothers and sisters to understand as the Jewish people mourn for that next temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Appreciate it, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon.
4: Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Very, very key report from Winky Madad, talking about the commemoration of the destruction of the First and Second Temple on Tish Ba'av, the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av. Okay, let's change regions of the world. We go to John Rood. He covers the European Union for us. And John, there's been a lot of activity out there in the Mediterranean in the Greek Isles. What I want to find out from you is how serious are the Greeks. The Greek admiral has made the statement, we have enough missiles to sink Turkey's navy twice over. Sounds like a call to arms itself, doesn't it?
5: Uh, This is uh, very strong rhetoric. Greece and Turkey have historically had tensions. Uh, There was the Aegean crisis in 1987 that... uh, Narrowly escaped a war situation, and we've been discussing these past weeks as well the situations with the Turkish arms transport into Libya. But Turkey is consistently uh, moving into the Greek waters for what they consider research. Certainly, certainly, uh, Greece does have the missiles that could sink Turkey's navy twice over for sure. But speaking such things is a definite rise in the tension and even the president of France is standing out and saying it's unacceptable for turkey to not uh, respect the international waters.
0: I don't know if Tayyip Erdogan is going to pay attention to what others are saying but uh, he continues his effort to Be able to rebirth the old Ottoman Empire. Well, talk to me about the European Union. They're targeting Russia, China, and North Korea because of cybercrime. They're going to put sanctions on them. What's this all about?
5: This is a new action. The European Union, of course, hasn't taken too many unilateral uh, directives against these nations, but something was the straw that broke the camel's back here, and so they've come out with. Sanctions on various groups, particularly Russian uh, intelligence group that is accused of hacking. Uh, in the past, there, Russia had gone into the uh, Ukraine's power grid. And there's all types of high-profile hacking groups. China uh, has been working with cybercrime, dealing with uh, information from multinational country uh, companies. So this is, um, this is a new direction that they've put into motion Incidentally, when the Council of Ministers building was built in Brussels, later on they had discovered that the construction was bugged. But the only thing I heard about that was they were blaming the United States and Israel, uh, not even recognizing that there's spying going on amongst
0: themselves. You know, the rise of anti-Semitism in the European Union has been reported in this last year to be increasing and now word coming out of great britain they have a record number of anti-semitic activities there in the last six months talk to me about that
5: yes uh, seeing that uh, britain has recorded uh, just in the first half of this year 789 incidents of anti-semitism and so you would think that you know there would be a higher incidence in france and so forth but uh, Britain is very polarized on some of the perceived as religious uh, issues. And so these incidents were dealing with verbal abuse, anti-Semitic graffiti, abuse via social media, hate mail, etc. And so it's sad to see that that has gained as well a momentum. And it's even stated that because of the coronavirus, this is actually held back and decrease the number of incidents that would have been. So it's a concern as well for the United Kingdom. They are not exempt from anti-Semitism.
0: That's the voice of John Root. He's the man who covers the European Union. John tells us about the political activities as we look at the prophetic significance, how politics sets the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. John, great report. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week.
5: Thank you very much.
0: Well, here's a man that has been read and heard and seen across the world as it relates to the EMP. You may not understand what that is. He's going to explain it in a moment. I'm talking about Dr. Peter Pry. He is the Executive Director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. You'll see that this is a key position as it relates to the defense, actually, of the United States of America. But we'll talk about that in a moment as we bring up the subject of EMPs. Peter, thank you so much for being with us. I know you have a busy schedule, but to be able to grab you for a radio interview is key for our listeners. And we do want to get to the main subjects, EMPs, and what that means to America But I have become somewhat of a China watcher. It seems like many people in the world, basically motivated by our president, Donald Trump, are watching China, what they're doing, uh, the origination of the coronavirus pandemic, the idea that they are stealing our technology here in America, so much more and more that we could talk about as it relates to China. But I know they do have a desire. They have set a goal. Communist China, we ought to say, has moved to the point that they would like to be number one militarily in this world. What does that mean? What, what are they trying to do? They're not at that point. America is probably still number one. But what is China doing over these last couple of decades?
6: Well, they may already be number one. To be frank, in the Cold War, there was a theory of escalation dominance, which still applies today. And regardless of the balance of conventional forces, the notion of escalation dominance was that nation which has the most nuclear weapons would basically dominate a confrontation because nuclear weapons are the most advanced technology, the most destructive technology known to man. And this theory was proven out by the U.S. victory during the Cold War because the Soviet Union had an overwhelming advantage facing NATO Europe in tanks and infantry and artillery and aircraft any conventional force that you might imagine but the United States maintained parity at least and maybe even had a bit of a technological edge over the Soviet Union in nuclear weapons and that's what preserved peace through the Cold War and deterred them from invading NATO Europe you know we have assumed that China is inferior to the United States in nuclear weapons. The estimate has been over many decades that they've only got about 300 long-range strategic nuclear weapons, and that has gone unchallenged, but that could be wrong. I've written articles, a Russian general has written articles, a former intelligence officer working at Georgetown University has made the opposite case, and that, that China could actually have more nuclear weapons than the United States, but hidden away You know, throughout the Cold War and continuing today, well, uh, up until recently, our focus on China, excuse me, our intelligence focus had been on on the Soviet Union and then on Russia. We didn't pay that much attention to the size and sophistication of China's nuclear arsenal. Only recently, within the past decade or less, we became aware that China's strategic, strategic rocket forces has this thing called the Underground Great Wall. 3,000 kilometers of tunnels, and we don't know what's in there. But we do know it belongs to their, to their people who plan and prepare for nuclear conflict. You know, it could well be that they've got large numbers of nuclear missiles and nuclear weapons hidden away from us. One Russian general estimated that the instead of 300 weapons, China might have 3,000 weapons. And I published a uh, report recently called China EMP Threat that proves that China has been planning nuclear EMP attacks against the United States for 25 years, for at least 25 years, and that this is incorporated into the nuclear strategy. Even if they don't have an advantage in terms of the numbers of the nuclear weapons, they probably have a, a technological advantage over us in having super EMP weapons. It's a category of a nuclear weapon that's designed particularly to make EMP. This is the electromagnetic pulse. You know, if it, it detonated at high altitude over the United States, a single weapon Blackout the whole North American electric grid, and the EMP fields are so strong for a super weapon that it could destroy the electronics in missiles and bombers, cut, cut destroy our communications capabilities with submarines, even electronics that have been hardened that is protected against the EMP from normal nuclear weapons. You know we don't even have a simulator. Or super EMP weapons, so uh, we've never protected our forces against that. So with a single weapon, you know, China could potentially win a nuclear conflict with the United States. The, the idea that the United States is still stronger and has the advantage—we shouldn't assume that. You know, there's a lot of questions. He who strikes first and is faster on the draw, especially with an EMP strike, could win a conflict, and that's what China believes. And I think
0: they're right. Peter, let me talk to you about that EMP. Now, I'm kind of a layman as it relates to the electronic magnetic pulse, the EMP that you're talking about. For those who are listening to this conversation across the nation and around the world, just briefly, you're saying that a nuclear weapon could be placed over the United States of America. They set that nuclear weapon off. And that would then destroy the electrical grids across America, shut us down because without the electrical grids, no computers, uh, no no anything that would help us to sustain life. Is that what we're really talking about?
6: Yeah, and not just the electrical grid. All the life-sustaining critical infrastructures, telecommunications, transportation systems, you know, automobiles wouldn't start, airplanes would fall out of the sky computer systems, the personal computer on your desk probably wouldn't work. I mean, it would basically, an EMP attack is like subtracting technology from the equation of modern society. You know, we can't operate, we can't function without it, and, and it's not just the, with a super EMP weapon, it's not just the unprotected civilian electronics that that are at risk. Even our military systems have never been hardened against the very powerful field strengths that can be generated by a super EMP weapon. So the nuclear retaliatory forces uh, might not work. And we might not know who attacked us either, you know, because satellites would be blinded and so would the radars. Immediately, at the speed of light, and we rely upon these national technical means, they are fundamental to deterrence, because deterrence only works if you can see who attacked you. There are many actors who could pull off an EMP attack, including North Korea, so if China or Russia did it, and they can do, you can do an EMP attack clandestinely. It doesn't have to be done with an ICBM launched from your territory, which in the old days we would be able to see coming. But, you know, there are now these hypersonic warheads. that can't be seen by our radars. So they could do an ICBM attack using a hypersonic warhead, using an intercontinental ballistic missile that wouldn't be seen by the radars. And... Uh, and the satellites would be blinded when it detonated. But there are other ways of doing it. You know, you could do it by satellite. You know, there's hundreds of, of of satellites in orbit. China has 300 satellites. You know, they could have one or a few nuclear-armed satellites hidden among that constellation of 300 that would be detonated over the United States whenever they wanted to do the EMP attack.
0: Boy, that sounds like America is very vulnerable to... Whoever may have one of these capabilities, an offensive weapon of an EMP, whether it be China, North Korea, Russia, whomever, what must America do in order to be able to defend themselves against such a weapon?
6: We need to harden our military systems adequately against a, a super EMP weapon, and we must harden our civilian critical infrastructures, which even during the Cold War were never protected, our electric grid or telecommunication systems. President Trump passed an executive order last year in 2019, March 26, 2019, to do exactly this, you know, to, to protect our systems against nuclear and natural EMP. I would add the sun can cause an EMP that also, you know, could take these systems down. And that's uh, inevitable. And it's not hard to do. We know how to do it. You know, we've been, we have been hardening military systems against EMP. select military systems like our nuclear deterrent, 50 years, but that has got to be improved because we weren't super EMP weapons, at least we didn't know about them until after the Cold War, you know, and so the EMP hardening of our military systems was against nuclear weapons of normal design, not the super EMP type, so we need to increase the hardness of those weapons and we have to protect our critical infrastructures against, uh, against EMP.
0: Wow. So America can protect themselves, defend themselves, which is key as it relates to the potential of China, North Korea, Russia using an EMP attack here on America. Peter, I'm sorry for having to uh, slip in and cut you off. You have such important information. I know we're going to have to have another conversation, continue our thinking about this, because we must be alert as to what the potential is as we look at the future. And we do know from the pages of Bible prophecy uh, that the kings of the East, that would indeed include China and North Korea, will be those who will be major players in the end times, according to the prophetic word of God. Peter, I'd like to thank you so very much for giving us this information, insight. You're introducing A very important conversation. We'll have to have more of them in the future. But thank you so much for your knowledge and for your being with us today.
6: Thank you so much for
0: having me. Very important report from Dr. Peter Pry. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I've got one more broadcast partner. David James and I will have a conversation. We'll talk about the beginning of the church. When did it take place? That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy Young, right here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we are here about 24 hours because we're going to be leaving Sunday to go over to Spruce Pine, North Carolina. That's where a group of Baptist churches have gotten together Uh, The Mitchell Association is going to have a prophecy conference Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It'll be held at the Tri-County Baptist Tabernacle. I love that tabernacle. Out in the woods reminds me of the tabernacle days for the Israelis, but it's a great place to be able to preach, and I'm going to be teaching prophetic truth we're going to take a look at the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, and what Jesus has to say about it on Monday night. On Tuesday night, we'll be talking about where is the United States in Bible prophecy. And then the last evening on Wednesday night, China in partnership with the Antichrist, a chronological unfolding of the book of Revelation. Come join us uh, that's in Spruce Pine, North Carolina, the Mitchell Baptist Association holding a prophecy conference at the Tri-County Baptist Tabernacle, 7 p.m. each evening. Hey, do me a favor. I want you to think about responding to my poll question. It's on my website, on the home page. Go down to the left-hand column and scroll down. Here's the question. On the day of Tish Ba'av, the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av, Jews commemorate a solemn fast day, and it's to honor the destruction of both the first and second Jewish temples. They also pray for a temple in Jerusalem by the next Tish Ba'av next year. Do you believe, with all the preparations completed for that next temple, that the third temple could be on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem in this next year? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation that will assist you, my dear friend, in being able to walk the Christian life and we look at issues from a biblical perspective that will help you to do that. David, thank you for joining us for all of your research, and let's think about a couple of emails that uh, we had from some of our listeners concerning last week's discussion about Black Lives Matter. Talk to us about those emails.
7: Sure. Well, the one listener wrote that he was very interested but not totally surprised on the background surrounding the organization's history, meaning Black Lives Matter, and its goals in world domination, and he even says possible subjugation of basic Christianity. Then another listener wrote, I just listened to you and Dr. DeYoung, and I wanted to personally thank you for having the courage to speak out on the issue of the Black Lives Matters movement in this country. I've been researching this movement since it started, and everything you said That affirms all of my research and suspicions, and I wanted to reach out to uh, at least say thank you. And this same uh, reader also mentioned our discussion of different meditation therapies that we had discussed earlier and said they reminded him of an experience that uh, he and his wife had had earlier this year that felt very similar. He wrote, my wife had organized a Reiki, that's R-E-I-K-I, a Reiki therapy session for our son who is medically fragile and non-ambulatory. I was in another room and heard a weird chanting coming from downstairs in another language went down to see what was going on and saw a woman standing beside my son with her hands about six Inches from his face, chanting a certain phrase over and over, and I immediately moved my son a bit. And the woman then proceeded to say, "It's okay. You can't disrupt the energy flow." And Jimmy, as I understand it, Reiki is a Japanese alternative healing therapy that supposedly involves a transfer of energy and balances from one person to another uh, as they trap the life force that permeates everything. And that would make it occultic. So we appreciate these letters, and we're glad that we can. And be of assistance to our listeners.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for all the emails you send to David and I when we have these discussions. It helps us and encourages us that we're doing something that is valuable and that you are interested in what we're having to say. Well, David, we received another email from another listener concerning the start of the church. And since there seems to be a lot of different ideas out there, I thought this would be a good topic for our discussion today.
7: I agree, Jimmy. Uh, This listener began his email by saying the church started when Jesus selected the 12 who had been baptized just as he had been by John the Baptist. And then he went on to say that Jesus led that body and administered the work that church had grown in number and was assembled had a meeting and selected a replacement for Judas to be empowered and to be led by the Holy Ghost in acts 2 and then finally he wrote I believe John and Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom but believe John's baptism was Christian I don't believe this truth damages any prophetic truth that you teach a church is a body of baptized believers so Jimmy there was a lot packed into this uh, short email and I think we need to sort of break it apart because several things do have an impact on what you and I would Consider prophetic truth from a number of perspectives. The first issue is the definition of the Church. When we say the Church, what does that mean biblically? And we'll get to that in a moment. The second is the question of when the Church began, with John's baptism, as our listener believes, or in Matthew 16, as some believe, or in Acts 2, or in the middle of Acts, or later, as others believe. Uh, A third is the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation, or is there a difference? And then finally, what difference does this all mean in relation to understanding the Bible as a
0: whole? David, you set up an agenda for us, so let's start with the definition of the church. I think there are many that have different ideas about this concerning what we actually mean by the church. Give that explanation first.
7: Well, first of all, we often talk about, quote-unquote, going to church or going to the church. And so for the average person, especially for those in the world, uh, the idea of church can mean different things. So for many, the church is just a building where uh, people have religious meetings, uh, but the Bible never really talks about the building where we meet as a church and only refers to the church as a building in a figurative sense. For others, uh, the church refers to a particular group that identifies as Christians. So for example, the Roman Catholic Church or the a Methodist or Episcopal Church. And in that sense, people generally mean a denomination or a group of people who generally believe many of the same things about God and the Bible and what it means to be a Christian and so on. But, but that's not the way the term is used in the Bible. When we see the term church in our English Bibles, it's a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, which is made up of two parts, ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means called. So in other words, a church is a called-out group of people, called by God into something. And we can think of it this way. The Church is a fellowship of believers who have been called out of the world system and now belong to the Lord. And the universal Church, a term that we sometimes use, the universal Church is made up of all born-again believers in Jesus Christ around the world, while a local Church is uh, the fellowship of born-again believers who meet in a particular place.
0: You know, our listener also mentioned that he believes the church started with John the Baptist and that John's baptism was actually Christian baptism. David, what are the various views concerning when the church started? And actually, I always introduce you on my five-minute broadcast. Here comes David James Bible in hand. So from a biblical perspective, talk to us about the start of the church.
7: Well, some would say the Church is just another way of saying those who are the people of God, and anyone who is a true believer in the God of the Bible. But if that's true, that would mean that the Church started with Adam, and in fact, many do see it that way. But the Bible only identifies Christians as making up the Church of Jesus Christ. So Adam was not a Christian, Noah wasn't a Christian, even though he was a believer, and neither were Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, or David, or any of the Old Testament saints. They weren't Christians. By definition, a Christian is only someone who has heard, understood, and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, they are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this baptizing and indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So the Church couldn't have begun with John the Baptist, as some say, or in Matthew chapter 16 with Peter's confession, as some others say, and and it couldn't have begun later in Acts, as some dispensationalists say, for example, when Paul turned to the Gentiles, which he actually said he was doing at two different times that were years apart. So the Church must have begun in Acts chapter 2. And to answer one of our uh, listeners' comments specifically, that John's baptism could have been or was a Christian baptism, uh, that's not possible because in Acts 19, Paul finds disciples of John the Baptist in Ephesus, and they are baptized baptized after hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're not the same thing at all.
0: Yeah, that's very good understanding of what baptism is talking about, David. Well, another one of the things our listener mentioned was that he believed John the Baptist and Jesus both preached the gospel of the kingdom, and I would agree with that at the time of Jesus Christ. However, I think a lot of people are confused when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom. Take a moment and explain the gospel of the kingdom, David.
7: Well, one of the things that dispensationalists have long been accused of is that of teaching two different Gospels, meaning two different ways of salvation. One way for Church-age saints, which is salvation by faith alone, and another for Old Testament saints, which would be salvation by faith plus works. That's what we're accused of. And in fact, some dispensationalists who place the start of the Church after Acts chapter do say that this is true, and they would say also that during the tribulation, salvation is once again by faith plus works. But, uh, Jimmy, I would say that's a heretical view, and that's not at all what we mean by the gospel of the kingdom, which is different than the gospel of salvation. You know, the word gospel simply means good news. So when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, we're not talking about the good news of salvation or how you enter the kingdom in the first place. We're talking about the good news of what life will be like for those who are in the kingdom. So, for example, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, that's an extended presentation of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus wasn't talking about how to become a citizen of the kingdom. He was talking about how kingdom citizens should live. And in fact, In John chapter 3, Jesus rebuked Nicodemus as a teacher of Israel for not knowing about how to enter the kingdom, which is to be born again, and that comes by grace alone through faith alone, and that has always been true from Adam forward to the end of the millennial kingdom.
0: Absolutely. One way to get saved, by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man would be able to boast. Boy, I appreciate that statement that you've just given us, David. Well, given all of this, would you say that having a proper understanding of when the church began does make a difference concerning the prophetic truth that you and I teach?
7: Well, Jimmy, I think it's very important, and it does make a huge difference in in how we understand the Word of God. First, if we don't have a biblical understanding of when the Church began, then we can make the mistake that some do and fail to recognize that believing Israel as the people of God in the Old Testament is not the same as the Church in the New Testament. And if we make that mistake, we won't understand that the promises that God made to national Israel will be fulfilled in a literal kingdom here on the earth. And we will also wrongly think that things that were intended only for the nation of Israel apply to the Church as well, so that's a big problem with application and interpretation. And if we hold that the Church began with John the Baptist or with Peter's confession in Matthew 16, then we'll likely begin confusing the Gospel of the Kingdom with the Gospel of salvation, and we would start bringing works into the equation concerning how our sins are forgiven and how we receive eternal life. And I've also seen this happen, as I said before, with some dispensationalists who place the Church as starting in the middle of the book of Acts or later. And it also means that you must define a Christian as being something other than someone who is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, into the one new man, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, whether they be Jew or Gentile. So there there are so many things that this touches on, and uh, we need to get this right in order to correctly understand the prophetic word of God.
0: Remember, dear folks, that we started with a definition of the church and conclude with what David just had to say. Great, great conversation we had today, David. I think this section of the broadcast on a weekly basis is very important as we help the body of Christ to understand what God's Word has to say about all these issues. Thank you for your research. Appreciate it, my good friend. Be ready for another question, another conversation next week.
5: I'll look forward to
7: it as always, Jimmy. Thanks a lot.
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll open up the Bible, take a look at the book, put all together everything our broadcast partners had to say and see what God's Word tells us in light of these current events. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today we heard reports from all of my broadcast partners with outstanding and informative reports on current events that are happening across the world. These reports revealing how these events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, my dear friend, these reports show us the urgency of the moment and how close the rapture may be to happening. These are key reports, and I want to thank personally now my broadcast partners for their hard work. By the way, if you missed any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network where you can listen or even re-listen to these very important reports. And do me a favor, as I ask each and every week, please pass this information along to a family member or a dear friend who needs to understand the urgency of the moment where we are living in these days. Now, if you will, let me give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman talked about Turkey openly declaring jihad on all non-Muslims. That's calling for the killing of every non-Muslim in this world. Erdogan, who is a radical Islamist, also the president of Turkey, he wants to be the pan-Islamic leader and to revive the Ottoman Empire, and Turkey is indeed in Bible prophecy. That's Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 6, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. That's modern-day Turkey. This prophecy, by the way, will be played out, and we're in the process of seeing it come about with this radical statement by Erdogan. He's declaring Islamic Jihad on all non-Muslims. David Dolan gives us his Middle East news update on a weekly basis, so key for us who are students of Bible prophecy. David brought to our attention that so many Jews are returning to Israel that the government is concerned, can they handle all of the Jews coming to their homeland? Remember, the Bible says that God will bring the Jews back to Israel. That's Ezekiel chapter 34. I will find my people where they have been scattered. I will gather them into the land that I have promised to give them. And when we see this happening, we are actually in the last days. Therefore, let me exhort you to live pure and be productive until the rapture does happen, and make sure that you're prepared by knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for that rapture to take you up at the shout from Jesus, the sound of the trumpet, and the archangel calling us to join Jesus. Winkimadad gave us a great report on the history of Tishbaav, which is a day when they desire the next Jewish temple to be built within this coming year. You know, it was 586 BC when Solomon's temple was destroyed, and on the same day on the calendar in 70 AD, Herod's temple was destroyed. Now the Jews are praying for the next temple, the third temple, to be built on the Temple Mount by next Tishbav. By the way, if you need biblical evidence for that temple, go to Daniel nine twenty-seven, where Daniel talks about the abomination of desolation in that temple, and also Matthew twenty-four verse fifteen, where Jesus Christ. Confirms that prophecy of Daniel. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. He brought to our attention that there is a Greek admiral who is saying that they have enough missiles in Greece, enough to sink all the ships in Turkey's navy twice over. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. Erdogan wants to control the Mediterranean and the Greek Isles as well. Remember Erdogan, president of Turkey. Greece has responded. They say, we will sink all the Turkish ships twice over. Remember the European Union. When you look at Bible prophecy, European Union, Daniel 7, and Islamic States, Ezekiel 38, they are going to be major players in the events in the future. Dr. Peter Pry brought to our attention how China can actually release an EMP on the United States today, an EMP, an electric magnetic pulse, that would shut down the electrical grid of the United States, put us back in the 1800s technologically, and that would be really, I believe, the demise of the United States. China does have a desire to rule the world militarily. They've not been able to do that yet, but soon they could, especially with an EMP who could make that happen. And may I suggest that may be the reason that the United States is not in Bible prophecy. These are bits of information that are so key to our understanding of current events and the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. David James and I had a conversation on the beginning of the church. We actually had this subject in mind because we received an email from one of our faithful listeners who said they believe the church was started by John the Baptist. Now, this is a conversation you need to eavesdrop on. It's a great discussion, and as I say when I introduce David James on my five-minute broadcast, here's David James' Bible in hand. That's exactly what we do. We return to the Word of God to see exactly what the Bible says about the beginning of the church. Remember, when you interpret Scripture, you need to have a proper, absolute hermeneutic hermeneutics is the science of interpreting Scripture, and as you apply a proper, absolute, correct hermeneutic, you'll have to come to the conclusion that Acts 2 is the record of the founding of the church, the beginning of the church age. Let me remind you, I think it would be good for you to re-listen to the conversation that I had with David today. Well, each and every one of our broadcast partners had very important reports for us, and all of them seemed to indicate that the next event in God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church, could even happen today. Well, that said, what else is there for me to say
2: except let's keep looking up until.